Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook. On BTS Podcast, I talk to people about the behind the scenes of what they do. That is what BTS stands for. In this episode, I got to talk to Open Mike Eagle. We talk about so much of what he does. There's still so many more questions I have that I forgot to ask. I usually try to ask more about people's parenting and how they manage their mental health. And I just spaced on that. But what we do talk about includes his music, running a record label, launching his podcast network, his merchandise company, acting, the show he had on Comedy Central, and a ton more. In the description of this episode, I have a link to where you can find him across the internet to some of my favorite things that he's done. I put together a YouTube playlist of the call and response conversations that he and Baron Vaughn hosted on Blavity with Funny or Die, so you can dig into those. They're really terrific, super educational. He recently, and by recently I mean like within the past couple weeks, released his latest album, Anime, Trauma, and Divorce, so congratulations. It's terrific. The music videos are all really stunning. I highly recommend that you find him on YouTube, watch those videos, take some time with them. They're great. I hope you really enjoy this episode. I had a lot of fun recording it. It was a great time and I learned a lot and maybe someday we'll do a part two and I'll have more questions. If you would ever like to submit questions for this podcast, you can join the Facebook group. It is linked in the description of this episode. Please do follow this podcast across social media platforms at BTS the podcast. You can also find it in my bios and profiles if you find my name easier to look up, just Lene, L-Y-N-A-E, Cook. If you'd like to show some overt gratitude for this podcast, if you enjoy it, please do subscribe, rate, review. Feel free to share it on social media. You can tag me. I would love that. I'd love to see what you like. You can also become a monthly supporter at anchor.fm slash BTS podcast. Huge thank you to Idris and Camillo who are monthly contributors and have been for a while. I really appreciate it. If you don't want to get just another monthly thing on your monthly bills, uh, you can Venmo me. It would be greatly appreciated. I recently nearly kicked my caffeine habit, so usually I'd say you can fund my coffee, but maybe now you'll just be funding my love for persimmons. So you can Venmo me at Lene, L-Y-N-A-E dash cook on Venmo or Cash App if you prefer that. It's just money sign Lene Cook, L-Y-N-A-E-C-O-O-K. Ways to support this podcast without sending me money, but while saving money for you include booking your next hotel stay with Hotel Tonight. You can use LCook61 to sign up and whenever you book a hotel, you will save on your first booking automatically. Someday when it's safe, if you want to get a massage in your home or wherever you're at, I highly recommend using Soothe. Soothe brings a massage therapist to you. Just use LZLRZ and you will save on your first massage. There's also a few other services that I really like, including Acorns and Robinhood. I've put links to both of those in the description of this episode because I don't have a quick and easy promo code. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you are in the music industry and you want to hear more conversations with people in the music industry, I have several conversations. The last episode was with Jordan Reese. 
She does strategy for artists. She's worked with a wide variety of artists previously at The Orchard, which is part of Sony Music Entertainment and currently at 1RPM. You can listen to that. And then if you go to my profile on Breaker, you can find a playlist. If you want an easy link, just DM me for it. It's also in the description of this episode. You may notice a little bit of construction sounds and trust me, I tried to cut them out. I did my best. And sometimes someone's best just isn't enough. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, welcome to BTS Podcast. This is your host, Lene Cook, and I am very excited today to have on my friend, Open Mike Eagle. He is not just my friend, he also does other things with his life. He wears a lot of hats. Mike, I think one of my favorite descriptions of your career that I read off of a, I think it was like on the title blog, is that you've spent your career blending absurdist comedy with an unrepentant critique of the capitalist monolith that is the United States of America. That sounds way loftier than anything that I ever did on purpose. Like, I could never have, I couldn't have put that sort of bullet in a gun and and shot it at anything. It's too big. Well... Thank goodness someone else wrote it and not yeah. <laughs> it would be a very odd thing for you to say about yourself. Perhaps. True. Magnanimous to say the <laughs> least. And when I read it, I was like, oh yeah, well I can't do a better job of describing your work than that. Um, so I use that. So you make music. Yeah. You have had multiple podcasts. Yeah. And then you've also done acting, voiceover work, mm-hmm. and I would say like co-created a show mm-hmm. that was on Comedy Central. Uh-huh. So you do a lot, and I think it would be, there's plenty of conversations and interviews with you that talk about how you've done all, like, sort of your journey. Okay. So I want to talk about, like, how you actively do all those things now. Mm. Because that's not something people get asked often. Like, right. So listeners, if you don't know anything about him, or maybe you've listened to his music and you don't know that much about him, you should absolutely go listen to other podcast episodes with him. You can go listen to his podcast, Archive of Secret Skin, and then just any other interviews. But today we're going to talk about literally what this podcast is about, which is the behind the scenes of how people do what they do. Hashtag BTS. It's true. I I somewhat regret using the hashtag. Oh, I know. Ugh. Oh, yeah. I know. I do. I really regret it, but I also now, I don't know how to... Yeah. Unparsed from it. It's on my mind. Yeah. If someone wants to submit a better idea, I don't know what I'll do for you, but I'll do something. Yes, need a different different phrase. (sighs) Yeah, but I I, I totally get. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. (laughs) I didn't mean to make it dark. We don't need an identity crisis for me on this podcast. Other people can have them. All right. We can start with music because that's what I would say most people know you for. Mm Mm-hmm. You release music very regularly. Uh, I think that's that's a that's a relative term. Especially given the current state of the industry. Fair. Yeah. But still, it's not like you have years, like gaps between albums or releases. Well, that's the thing is, I would say that this is a pretty sizable gap. But you just released something. I just put out a single or two, you know what I mean? But I mean, you know, the way I came up in music, it was like a project a year. Mm -hmm. And so like the fact that I haven't put out anything as a project since like an EP in 2018, Mm -hmm. for me, it feels like way overdue. Right. You know, and, and, and as I've been in the industry, it's moved even faster. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, breaks are risky. They are. You've also been doing a lot of other things. Yeah. So it's not like you've been hanging out, contemplating what you might be doing today or tomorrow or next week. So you, you release music regularly, mm-hmm. and then in conjunction with that, you also started a podcast mm-hmm. called Secret Skin, which I assume sort of like parlayed into your own podcast network. 
Yes, I think that's I think that's that's fair to say. There was a general interest from the people at Starburns to just have me curate something. Mm. And I'm and and at the time those conversations started, I'm not even sure how where they were of Secret Skin because Secret Skin, I believe the last episode came out in like 2016. Okay. Yeah. Um and so at the time, you know, um it looked big for people in my orbit, but I don't think it was something to come across their desk. But it's, it certainly has been a conversation and part of um, launching a network, the secret skin is coming back. And so actually, since we're talking about this now, so I don't have to like shift gears weirdly mm-hmm. later, what does it entail to launch a podcast network? Like, what does that mean exactly? It means that there are, um, there's going to be a number of shows that represent this brand called mm-hmm. Stony Island Audio. Um, it means that they'll be linked together uh, business-wise. So that means outwardly it'll be branding. On the inside, I am curating the shows. And in some senses, I am overseeing. In some senses, I am producing. But in a, in a not in a technical sense so much. Right. Just in the like, oh, uh, you need an engineer. So I'm going to pair you with an engineer. I'll help. We'll come up with a plan together for how you're going to go about this, how often you'll release it. Uh, I'm going to get your podcast cover art made, you know, like Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. Um, So you're like creative directing it. Yeah. To it, it sort of is like what it would be comparable to. Mm -hmm. And so did you, presumably you did all of that for Secret Skin on your own, correct? Yeah. Well, no. Uh, At at the time I was doing Secret Skin, I was working with this company, American Public Media. Mm -hmm. uh, And they had some high level experts on podcasting in there because most of those people, um, they were responsible for shows like Planet Money, um, oh. This American Life, yeah. like big shows yeah. that a lot of these people had. They had started NPR in public shows. radio, yeah, yeah. Um, and and they had kind of started the transition to podcasting with these really successful shows. So they had a lot of best practices. They handled my editing. Um, oh, that's awesome! What a relief! Yeah, it was. My it God. was great. It was great. I mean, because Secret Skin was actually my second podcast. Oh, really? Because I had, first I had this podcast back in like 2010. Oh, very pre-podcast yeah. era. Well, it was, it was to me it was in that early wave of like Adam Carolla, Mark Marin, Right. Um, Never Not Funny, like those kinds of shows that I was like really deeply into. And, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed the format. So I started doing this show called The Helicopter Podcast. Okay. Um. And I wasn't even interviewing anybody. I was just talking. That's so um, fun. I can't imagine. But it, it was always important for me to have, like, a musical element to it. So, mm-hmm. like, the editing was, I couldn't handle it. You yeah. Know, I did, like, five episodes. I was like, I can't, I can't do this. It's, it's a lot. Especially yeah. if you're, I mean, I have definitely given up uh, yeah. any sort of, like, sound design mm-hmm. or, like, doing the things that I would like to do. Right if I were in charge of my own podcast in like a professional sense and if it weren't just like me by myself, like certainly if I was doing this for a company, the bar would be much higher for this podcast. Of course. And then there's a point where I'm like, okay, well, Lene, if you keep up this like sort of standard, you're just never going to release anything. Right. Exactly. It's a stopper. Exactly. Uh, And and I guess I, I first came to that crossroad and was like, okay, I have to stop doing this. But then I got the opportunity to do it with Secret Skin where I did have support. That's awesome. And so I was able to do a show that like, I think we did like 52 episodes or something like that. It seemed like a lot more in my head, but it was just uh, 52 That's still a lot of episodes. or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's and it's a solid amount because I think 
probably around the time that you stopped doing it, I was going through a weird time in life where I was basically not talking to anybody, but I was listening to a lot of podcasts mm -hmm. I enjoyed. And then I came across yours because you had someone on who I was just looking up interviews with. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh, because we've known each other for probably 10 years, probably, like loosely. Yeah. And I was like, I didn't know Mike had a podcast. Right. <laughs> like, how nice. It, it was, you know, it was the kind of thing where even the, you know, American public media was having a hard time understanding how to get the word out about mm. the stuff they were making. They had some really good shows when they started. Um, they had started this initiative called the Infinite Guest Podcast Network. And my show was part of that initiative. Okay. And they ended up, you know, abandoning a lot of that stuff. But it was some great content. But yeah, they were having trouble at the time figuring out how to grow things. And they were paying a lot of money up front. <laughs> <laughs> so with your podcast right now, what had happened was, which is great, Thank by the you. way. And also, okay, I if you're listening to this and you're not particularly into hip-hop i don't really care i think you should definitely go listen to it because a you're a great interviewer thank you and b the intro and outro are so good like I, i'm really proud of them you should I'm really be. proud of them. they're man. delightful like normally i listen to podcasts on like 1.6 to two times the speed yeah and for yours heat rocks and like very few others mm. i put down to one times the speed for the intros because i like them so much <laughs> Ah. <laughs> Pulling the levers while you're listening. Exactly. That is hilarious. And so yours and Heat Rocks, I have set as like a, it's a setting on breaker where I set it to a custom like rate of one times the speed. And then when I get past the intro, then I gear it up Damn, to like 1.6 to 1.75. I haven't been able to do the speedy listen. I don't know why. Wow. Feels, feels maybe in the older millennial category yeah. and I'm in the younger millennial yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah, just yeah. like give it to me fast I need to move to me, to too me, much to listen to <laughs> I really to me it's really important that it's like the rhythm of a conversation or else it like messes with my head you know I only feel that way about music podcasts mm. because I also listen to a lot of NPR podcasts and a lot of like tech podcasts and so for those like I don't particularly feel like I need the the rhythm of like Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway's mm -hmm. conversation. And then I listen to a lot of economic podcasts too. And there's one I listen to called Econ Talk. And if there is a category of people that are slow talkers, <laughs> it's, economists. it's economists. And I like my dad is one and I cannot mm. handle it. Like I literally sometimes will just look at my dad and like want to like clap my hands in his oh face and God. be like, please just spit out whatever you're trying you to say. You want to turn your dad's speed up. I do. Wow. Sometimes I wish I could have him record whatever messages he's trying to get to me and then just crank the speed up. Anyways. Mm -hmm. Oh no, this will be full of tangents just in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> yeah, it's all either of us know how to do yeah. during interpersonal conversations. Absolutely. It's the joy. So how do you, also during shutdown, because we are now in, my God, we're in August. Um, yeah, I can't even handle it. No, it's too, I just am like pressing my like temple as I think yeah. of it. You have started doing, is it called Quarantine Drive Time? Quarantine Drive Time Radio, yeah. That's what it is. It so used you... to be called Imaginary Drive Time Radio, but then I stopped, that stopped that pretty fast. <laughs> That's when people started driving again? No, no, oh. no one was ever driving. It just uh, it just felt stupid to say over and over again. Right, it you just, know what I mean? it just felt like a Barney sort of style. Yeah, and it, and it was almost depressing. That's you know fair. I mean? It's kind like, of not real. Yeah, I'm just here like, no, this, with a fake radio. We're show. doing this. You know, this is really <laughs> happening. It's just not how, you know, it's not how we thought it would. It's not the circumstances. It's not how we thought it would shake out back in February. Exactly. So you do that Monday through Friday, mm -hmm. which is on your Instagram Live with yep. Video Dave. Yep. And it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, yes, it's a great time. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, like, it's the only reason to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a radio show nobody asked for. If it's not a good time, I should stop. You know? That is, I think it's important to know when to quit. Yeah. I told my friend Lance about that today, and he was like, you don't set goals? And I was like, no, not really, because I think sometimes it's, there's something you want to do, and then you realize it's not a good fit for who you are. Why stick with it? Yeah, stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then you also are, you have your own music, mm -hmm. and then you have auto-reverse, mm -hmm. and then you have any, like, castings or self-tapes or whatever your world looks like in, like, the sort of TV film talent department. Yeah. And your podcast network. Mm -hmm. how, how do you manage your time? And a merch company. Oh, that's right. I almost forgot. Yeah. Remind me the name of your merch company. Merch Engine. Okay, that's mm -hmm. right. And the merch company. So how, how do you, like, do that? Um, so like really most of my life is just managing my email inbox mm. and then that sort of informs what I have to spend my time on. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, I guess a lot of it is just mentally planning out the next few months. And, um, ideally when things are working at, at their highest capacity, all of these entities are working together. Right. They're definitely related. Yes. So like. Tomorrow, we're dropping a t-shirt for the podcast through my merch company. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And, like, in that in that way, like, I'll have a product to promote that is also promoting my podcast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and, it, and, and ideally, everything works together. The music, the podcast, the merch. Um, it all works together. And Quarantine Drive Time Radio is literally a radio show, so I can advertise anything that I want yeah, on it. You can you buy know. your own airtime. Well, exactly. And, <laughs> and you know, I have I, I, I say that the show is sponsored by Auto Reverse and mm -hmm. sponsored by Merch Engine. Beautiful. Because those are the products I end up shouting out. Yeah. Um, and the TV stuff is, is kind of what's kind of the outlier and it's weird because that's like the stuff that pays the most money. Right. But it's but, also the least, the thing you have the least control over. Yes. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. So it's, yeah, it's the thing I have least control over. It's the thing that's least integrated into my plans. Right. Outside of financial support. Right. When those, I don't know, I guess I'm just thinking through, even though they're all related in terms of output and goals, mm -hmm. they're not related in terms of the actual like part of your brain that you're using for each of those things. I it's see. a lot of gear shifting. Hmm. I, you know what? I don't. I, I guess I don't feel like it is because all of the operations for all of these things are just me talking to people. You know what I mean? And, and it's like that never. Like that's never not happening. Okay. You know. Fair. Um. Well, there's like okay. So I think things like that. Like with merch engine. Uh huh. Somebody has to go like take like you know get the mockups of yep. these of this merch. Yep. That person presumably is you. Um. I. Ha uh. My my management. My manager is key in that process okay this part is very helpful yeah my so, manager is key in the and, and okay. particularly uh the conversations around the merch company uh -huh. he is key in those and and he's also key in conversations around um my music and auto reverse okay he's key in those two things and how long have you been with your manager Whew, uh 2013 I thought you were just say twenty years, oh, no, and that's no. why my job dropped. Oh, no, gosh, no! I, oh my, my life would be so different if I had a manager twenty years ago. Matter of fact, I would have been had, I had a day job then. It wouldn't have made any, any sense like, at all. I was like in tandem. My right. God, how? Yeah, um, no. 
Okay, so since 2013, and did you have a manager prior to that, or was this your first manager? Um, I had other arrangements where someone was was attempting to fill that role, right? but it wasn't really what they do, right. and so it didn't work out. Yeah, well, but, that's tough, because you're both figuring it out like together, and that's it's a very sink-or-swim environment. And the problem with, with it from, from my career, and I'm not sure if this is... No, I'm pretty sure it's more like this for me than it is for especially other artists. I'm thinking about it as an artist first because my manager came into my life um, to work with me as a musician. Mm -hmm. The thing is, like, my career is very much about these very specific relationships mm -hmm. and very specific conversations and ways to achieve goals. That, like, if somebody comes into my orbit wanting to work with me, and they don't have any idea about how the machine works. Yeah. Then I'm. It's just mostly me teaching them instead of them like being able to help. Fitting me. into the ecosystem yeah. and like helping level things up or right. take things off your plate in a it's, way that makes sense. Yeah. It's just a. It's a. If if they don't have the background or the understanding, especially of how like independent music works. Right. Uh, then they're not really in a position to be able to help me. Well, independent music and someone who has like a specific vision and goals because mm -hmm. it's very, it's one thing, <clears throat> it's one thing when somebody is like, I make music, that is all I do. It's another when there's someone like you who wants to be like feeding different parts of their creativity in different ways. And so I think that's hard for like a not seasoned manager to wrap their head around, especially if they don't have existing relationships in the right areas of entertainment. Mm -hmm. So with your, you have a manager and then you have an agent, for, or do you have, you have a talent agent and then like a music booking agent, right? Yes. Okay. You and, have a team of agents. And then do you also have a business manager? Yes, I have a business manager. How have you navigated those relationships in like at what point in your career were you like, okay, I need this, and like, or I'm switching, or whatever. Like, there's so many questions I have about that. Okay, so let's talk representation first, in terms of like talent agents. So, my career started in earnest when I put out an album in 2010. And I would say from 2010 to like 2015, 14, 14 or 15, I didn't have any sort of um, representation, specifically in, in the means of a music booking agent, mm -hmm. which was, key at the time yeah which was like I, I i spent many an hour um thinking about how to make that happen right now that was one of the things with my manager since he had um experience and awareness of how those relationships operated um there was a prospective agent who came into my orbit um and the key role my manager played in that particular conversation was that like that potential agent um, wanted to call me. So I talked to the guy and what I could very much tell after having that conversation emotionally for myself, I could tell that during that conversation I had talked him out of wanting to represent me. I could tell it happened because I'd done it a dozen times before. <laughs> like, not necessarily with, you know, somebody in that industry, but I know that, like, I have a tendency to get nervous and start explaining things that don't need to be explained. And, and these are the things that make you look very, like, they make you look less desirable as a client. Um, my manager picked up that conversation 
and locked it in. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. he represented me in that conversation, made me sound desirable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, was we were able to start working together. Yeah. You know? So, like, that, that part was so key for me, especially at that time. Like, I had, like, the lowest self-esteem you could imagine. Really? A, like, in terms of my sense of my worth, um, in the overall industry, mm-hmm. um, I, I I had a sense of value of what it is that I created. I just I at the time especially felt like it was something off in the corner, you know, and not and not something to be trumpeted by people who need to make money, you know. Right. Um, so he was key in making that happen. So the agency I ended up signing with uh, was Windish, mm-hmm. which my position in indie rap at the time was like a dream. Yeah, that's an amazing. Yeah, that's major. Yeah, like I used to look at people's like Twitter bios. Oh, they're Wendish. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh, they're so Wendish. If they were with Wendish or if they were with the agency group, I was drooling. Yeah. Um, and and whenever I did tour with other artists and bigger headliners, those are the agencies they were with. They were with Wendish or they were with the agency group. Right. Uh, so I had I had familiarity with those two organizations. I had a great desire to be represented by one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it happened, it was a big deal for me. Um, now, Wendish, a year or two after I was there, Wendish got bought by a bigger agency called Paradigm. Yeah. I was about to bring that up. Yeah. Yeah. And Paradigm, like, musically, they represent, like, Aerosmith. Yes. Like. <laughs> They're very much, like, money-making. Yes. Like, uh, not focused on sort of art innovation. They're like. Right. Where, where's we, our money? Yeah. We're, yeah. We, <laughs> we need like, arena fillers. Yeah. But I, the way that Paradigm was looking at Windish, specifically with the artists that it brought in under the Windish umbrella, was like, oh, these are creative people. Yeah that may be interested in doing things other than music. So they kind of like sent that initiative out within the company. Um, and suddenly I'm having conversations because I'm on the paradigm roster. Mm-hmm. I'm having conversations with TV people. Right. Uh, and, and movie people. So and that like, wasn't something that you sought out on your own while making music. It's something that sort of like the stars aligned it, in that way. I won't say, I, I, can't, I can't say I didn't seek it out. Mm-hmm. It just happened to unfold in a way where my desires were met with a like a clear path. Right. Um, because at the time, I think I had done Hannibal's show, his TV show. Mm-hmm. I was around Eric Andre's show, like from conception to, you know, and then Hannibal's on that. I'm cool with Eric and like... Um, uh, Chris Gethard was another guy who, like, he, you know, he had gone from like, a public access show to like now he has a show on cable, and I was on, I had appeared on that, and it was just things happening around where I'm just like, hmm, it seems to me that a great way to make my music career easier would be to get on television more, Certainly. because every time I did that, it was like an obvious uh, boom. It was like an obvious. Um, increase in capacity every time I got a good television look. Yeah. So from that point forward, I'm always starting to think about, hmm, how can I do it? How can I be on TV? And I'm and I'm also at the same time in LA performing um, 
in front of comedy audiences. Mm -hmm. And I did seek that out after a chance uh, performance at UCB where, like, it really clicked. Yeah. They're like, oh, these people are listening. Like, I come from very desperate, dirty underground rap music. Very filthy, angry, <laughs> mean yeah. underground rap music where, like, most of the time you look out into a crowd. If there is a crowd, it is a crowd full of other mean rappers. And they are not looking no to smiling. have a good time. There's little smiling. There's little smiling. Like, say if you hit your face, self in the face with the microphone, right. they, might, they might give you a smile then. Um, but it's a lot of performing for performers. It's a lot of, you know, audiences that are full of people's coworkers and friends and family. And it's not right. like fans, yeah. you know. So it's a lot of running in place. And specifically for my taste, a lot of people that are only enjoying the sound of live rap music in one way. Which I didn't, you know, I didn't have a problem doing the sort of rap music they were looking to hear, which is just kind of powerful boom bap, punchlines, energy. Um, but I spent a lot of time in my lyrics trying to say interesting things. <laughs> and, and I would find in those audiences they did not care. Mm. And when I performed in front of comedy audiences, then they really were listening. Right. And they understood what I was going for. Mm -hmm. And so they laughed at the parts I thought was funny. And I'm like, oh, this is what I need to be doing. Interesting. Yeah. And so um, that kind of started me being in and around the comedy scene here mm -hmm. in L.A., which also opened a lot of doors for the television stuff. And Yeah. yeah. Did you do UCB's full? New. No. Okay. No, just, I, um, I was a monologist on their show, ASCAT, which is like their flagship show. Yes. Um. I did that twice, and the second time I did it, I made sure I had I got video so I could like show other people if, like if I want like for me to get on Paul F. Tompkins' show, mm -hmm. um, I showed him video from when I performed at UCB. Well planned, you know. Yeah, it, it worked out. It yeah. worked out. But yeah, it worked out because it was based on observable relationships, you know. <laughs> yes. And not cold calls and shit. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, no, although that's... I have sent many a drunken cold email. I have, and some a lot of times that shit has has, has worked. Uh, that's how I got on uh, WTF. Really, Mark Marin. I, I I sent him a very like it was well calculated, like uh -huh. the angle, but the the audacity to do it was was found in a bottle. He he is sort of in that category of people though that like would respond to that type of thing because I've gotten I, rarely. I am somebody who maybe. Six times in my entire life have ever reached out to anybody mm -hmm. that I didn't either know personally or like have some sort of like we have a mutual friend or whatever with. Mm -hmm. And almost every time I heard back, mm -hmm. like Aisha Tyler got back to me, Henry Rollins got back to me. Woo. Viv Albertine though did not, which who from uh, the Slits? I don't know who that is. That's all right. <laughs> That's. I started reading her book and I was like in a particularly emotional oh, I place. Oh, how that goes. And I was like, oh, I'm going to write her a love letter on this hotel notepad. <laughs> that doesn't sound like it went well. Well, couldn't have gone sour. I didn't get blocked. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's my gauge of if things went well. Okay. <laughs> Did I get blocked or not? Um, okay. So... I'm like gathering my thoughts now because I have so many other questions. Mm -hmm. um, well, I guess one of them that came to mind while we were talking is 
with all of these, with so many things that you've going on, and I know that you've launched the podcast network during the shutdown, mm -hmm. um, so that's untested, but how do you keep all of those balls rolling while you're on tour? Emails. Mm -hmm. I'm in my email constantly. Always. Yeah, it's sad. Is it? Um, yeah. You're, you're just in a car. What else are you supposed to be scrolling your Instagram feed? I think... Um, I'm not trying to be rude. I, just, no, 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 I don't no. think I'm, it's I'm, sad because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, like there's so many worse uses of your time absolutely. in transportation. I, I, I just mean my dependence on, oh. on that particular uh, area of information is being critical to right. moving my life forward at every turn. You know, like that's that's the part where I'm like, oh, this feels gross sometimes. And I often think about like I, I think about like Donald Glover. Like, what the fuck does his email look like? <laughs> what the fuck does his inbox? He probably look like? has somebody else in there helping. With I'm that. sure, but I just can't imagine the sheer. Oh yeah. Deluge. It would be. That's the kind of email that you must have to just be like, you know what? I'm just closing this one and starting another. Because I have a few friends who are in that sort of category of like people would con you know they're constantly hearing from people and one of them in particular i think throughout our probably equally long friendship probably nine or ten year friendship he's changed his email and phone number on average like twice a year oh i can't i couldn't i've had the same phone number since 2002 same except for I was 14, so like 2003 or 4 or something. I remember very specifically, my father gave me a cell phone. It was like a brick, like the <laughs> Motorola mm -hmm. brick phone. And I was so thrilled. I was like at a friend's house and I jumped into her pool. I was very excited. <laughs> Not with the phone, thank God. <laughs> but I was thrilled. Turns out he just wanted to be able to track where I was. And he lied to me and told me, which it was true, that the phone did have GPS in it. But he lied to me and told me the phone had GPS in such a way that... I thought he could find where I was. Yeah. It well, greatly cut back on the lying for about two years. Yeah, but yeah, part of parenting is child tracking, for sure. <laughs> Even if it's just uh, psychological trickery. I, I totally get it. This is the same man who once convinced me that the car was now, like, voice... Like, what's the word for it? When you can tell something what to do? Like, Siri. Voice activated? Yes, voice, voice activated. But it's just because he got a car that had the volume on the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. So he was like, oh, you can tell it volume up or volume down and things like that. And really, he was just adjusting it. That's sad. And he had me duped. I don't like, like that month. one because that's, that's making you think he's got some sort of personal magic. Well, that's mm. not our first rodeo as father and daughter with this sort of thing. I see. <laughs> just I see. Robert's got some trick up his, tricks up his sleeve. Um, so, okay. Oh, my God. I have 51,000 unanswered emails. I, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So, as your, well, what email app do you use? Uh, like, Gmail. Okay. Do you, you, do you use like a to-do list app? What do you do to like manage your tasks and priorities and stuff? I just, I have a rolling uh, set of like notes on my MacBook. And, okay. And I tend to track, I, I, I literally tend to track what I have to do based on what's in my email inbox, but then I realize on certain days I have to make a specific do these things today because right. I'm, I'm losing track of something. So do you have people, if they're DMing you or texting you about something, do you go like, hey, can you just email me so that it's all in one place? Yes, I usually do end up trying to transfer any talk of business that I have to keep track of to email because it's a lot easier for me to do that. And are you a calendar guy? I've become one. It's, I fought it. 
for a long time, my father. And now I, I can't even, I can't imagine how I did anything before that. I can't I, imagine yeah. how I just didn't miss every meeting. I just, <laughs> like, what was I doing? I don't, people who operate without a, a calendar, I, I truly can't even imagine waking up, like, like, if my calendar were to disappear, I'd be like, well, fresh slate of life. I guess I just need to start <laughs> over with everything I do because I don't know what comes next. Like, I, that sort of thing, I can't keep in my head. Mm. Yeah, so, I, I don't know how I did. I don't know how I did. Do you use Google calendars or what do you use? Yeah. yeah do I you color Google. code them? No. 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 I just you have literally, one calendar for everything. Yeah. And it's with just, time slots or are you an all-day event? Time slots. Okay. Need times. Definitely need, need times. times. Yeah, it's very robotic if you oh, need gosh. times. Yeah, if I don't have times, I'm fucked. Cause then, cause then, you know, like something like this, right? Like I, I do a lot an amount of time right. to have a fucking genuine conversation, or else. Well, thank you. Well, of course, but I have to make sure to overlap with nothing else. You know what I mean? So that's why right. I have to have like times. Well, right now, what else could it possibly overlap with? You're not doing quarantine drive. So right um, now it's not as problematic. Well, I had an, I had another thing I had to schedule, oh, right. but I had to I had to look at my day and realize this was here, and then right. schedule that for later. Fair. Where if I didn't have that written down, I could have fucked around and double booked myself. Uh, yeah, know? I have been notorious for doing mm. such things <laughs> at certain phases in my life. Um, you were also recently doing call and response. Yes, and. How did like how did that come about? And then like for things like that, like what does that look like in your world? Like was there did it, did you have a producer who was like giving you information about all the guests? Did you already were you already well acquainted with the guests? Did you do so, research on your own? Uh, okay, so call and response was a, a a daily live stream show that ran for two weeks every day with me and uh, Baron Vaughn talking to uh, all sorts of different guests about you know. Like, we had conversations centered around the protests because they were really going strong at that time. Yeah. So we were having conversations around these issues to try to unpack them for people and um, and that sort of thing. So that started with a conversation. Apparently, the seed of it started with a conversation between Funny or Die and Blavity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blavity reminded Funny or Die that had to work with black people. <laughs> Google <laughs> reminder. Yeah. Wait, hey guys, just here's a reminder. Well, yeah, my I, birthday's I, tomorrow. Also, you don't ever pay black people. I, I, well, I, I, I'm saying this. I think that around that time, every company was looking for something to do um, in response to or to be proactive about um, racial injustice. Mm -hmm. And the fortunate thing is that, like, the guy who runs Funny or Die, he actually really gives a shit. Oh, well, that's you know, great. He actually really does. Like, And that's not to say that every way they make their money is about giving a shit, because it's not, and it wasn't right. supposed to be. But just him as a person. Yeah. Like, he didn't want to do something that just paid lip service to it. He wanted to actually do something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so the idea was to, like, you know, could they create a program? Could, could they task someone with creating a program? And Baron and I had worked with Funny or Die um, on the New Negroes. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, he hit us up and said, what can we do? And so me and Baron came up with a thing to do. And then 
like a week later we were doing it. That's so wild. It was crazy. So like, then who had to book the guests? Because you guys, I mean, so for listeners, I highly recommend you go back and they're on Blavity and Funny or Die, I think. Mm-hmm. If yes. that's correct. They're yes. on, like, all the videos are on both of those um, YouTube channels. And I would highly recommend you go back and watch them because they're really, really great conversations with a medley of terrific mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Were you and Baron then tasked with booking those? Like, not necessarily, but, but like, choosing those people? How did that work after that? Yeah, we came up with the list of people. Okay. Um, and as always, you know, with booking, you come up with three times as many people as you can actually get and see who's, and this was, it was really tricky because we were like, Hey, very important, busy person. Um, what are you doing Monday? Right. <laughs> like in four days, hey, can you, Honda, what are you doing? Right. Can you talk to Wednesday? us for an hour live in front of, <laughs> you know, potentially thousands of people right. on Tuesday about really intense subjects yes. and like a very, uh, like boiling point yeah, of um, culture and society. So we had a producer, like the um, the person who produces the New Negroes live show and a producer from Blavity. Mm-hmm. And we gave this list to them. Um, and they threw in a couple names too. Uh, and they booked it. They booked the shit out of that show. Yeah, like, it I, was I, incredible. I, I wanted to applaud them. Yeah. Because I've been a part of many situations where booking uh, had more time than this and was a fucking nightmare and didn't get done well. And this shit, like, they nailed it. Especially for such a specific time frame because mm-hmm. it was noon to one yep. um, Pacific Standard and Time live. every day like, and you live. You can't move it. Like, you can't go right. half an hour early, half an hour. Like, and, and, you know, to get everybody from Jane Fonda, Robert Townsend, Roxanne Gay, Roy Wood Jr., Trayvon yeah. Free, like... It was, it was a amazing. Wild, yes. Like it was a crazy couple of weeks. Every single like I remember just every single announcement, me being like, Oh my god. Yeah. Like they got like all three of these people at noon tomorrow. It was like very, very incredible. And then so that that sort of those many of those relationships were call and response stemmed from yes. the show that you and Baron had on Comedy Central. And well, I'd I'd say I'd say actually they're probably mostly rooted in just him and I as people more than it was New Negro specifically. Oh, well, I guess my question you know. was just, I was going to segue into how was that show for you? And like, what were your takeaways from it? The show that you and Baron had? New Negroes? Yeah. Or, um, well, that, you know, that that's a tough thing to talk about. It's almost like I have to pick which angle I want to talk about it from. Okay. Because it is a it is a long journey of a story from like, the 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 conception of it, the early execution in live shows to selling it to TV to the process of actually making it for television to then it being released into the world and well then let's talk about what you learned from selling it because I think that that is a really opaque and nebulous sort of thing that people who are in similar positions as you are um, in terms of like so do you mean like how to sell. Or well, what you learned specifically, like takeaways that you had that you were like, okay, now I know this. Um, that might not be as obvious from people, for people who are who have like spoken about this before. What did I learn that wasn't obvious? Hmm. Well, one thing I learned that I think is really important, and this only has a little bit to do with selling it, but I, I've learned that like. Things that come up with as concerns in the process of selling, like things that come up in the room as a concern, uh, 
you have to be very careful how you navigate around those things because if someone is thinking of it or imagining it as a concern in that phase, you have to think about how that concern might grow and evolve over time. And you can't think that once you've once you've solved it for the one person's mind in the pitch meeting, that you've solved it for everyone who's ever gonna come across it. Totally. Um, and and I think that like we didn't realize I'm talking about the title of the show, to be specific. Okay. The title of the show is problematic. And we never thought about it that way because we're inside the group African American, where the word Negro doesn't feel pejorative necessarily. And you're not afraid to say it. I'm not afraid to say it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Like what? white people, what I'm saying is. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, and, and, and so we, we understood that as a concern. And that to us just seemed to be like us being provocative. Mm. Mm-hmm. But what we didn't understand was that not only is it a word that some white people don't know their way around, which is what we, like I said, we knew that. Right. What we didn't know was that there are people of color who have a problem oh. with that word. Mm-hmm who it brings up negative emotions for. Right. Um, and we weren't prepared for that. We weren't prepared to have any opposition to the title of that show come from people within the group African-Americans. Especially, presumably, because it was on Comedy Central. That also was a concern that people had. Mm. And, and we thought the fact that it was our show and our choice right. would um, address that concern for some people. But again, what you don't think about, how many thousands of people might only see the title right? and they don't get any more context about the title. Yeah. Like they just see it yeah. and have a reaction. They don't and have then, the full picture. And, they, and they'll, it'll, they'll never get it. And, you know, I think it's also human nature that once we have a, a negative reaction to a word in general, that's a very hard thing to remove yourself from and go like, oh, actually, this is an exception or I can see what they're doing here. Like, it's sort of an allergic reaction to you reject the whole premise, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're not going to go if there's something that you that already sort of brings out disdain in you. Like, I'm not going to go watch, uh, you know, Donald Trump speak because mm-hmm. already I'm like, I don't. I don't really right. fuck with that at all. Right. So you're not gonna go. Huh. I wonder why he's speaking. Yeah. Today. You're not. You're, you're, I wonder what he has to say today. Right. Like. <laughs> I wonder, wonder if today is the day he changes my mind. Like. Yeah. Uh, and 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 yeah. Along those same lines, like. You know, there weren't a ton of people who had a problem with it who were even interested in hearing the answer. Right. You know. That makes sense. And then so, and all that to say, it became a weight. That we didn't want carry, right? Because it wasn't what we were trying to do. We weren't like we weren't. We didn't make a show to fight a battle around that word, right? It was not. Yeah, that wasn't like one of the goals of the show. You weren't like let's 
start this particular dialogue. Yeah, that we can't finish. You know yeah, what I mean? Because we definitely. actually didn't start it in the first place. It was around before we were. Right. You know? Yeah, that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about a lot of, like, work things. Um, actually, one of my questions was, so with Stony Island, um, what is the next? Because you have your show. Mm -hmm. And then do you have shows in development right now? Yep. Awesome. Do you feel like talking about any of that or no? Um, I, hmm. You can well, say I'll, no. I'll say, I'll, I'll say this one because this one is actually already out. Okay. Um, that one's called Super Duty Tough Work uh, with Blueprint and Illogic who are um, fantastic indie rap artists, legends in their own, um, in their own right. And then they have this podcast that they've done over 200 episodes of. Damn. How Super Duty Tough Work, which is really about breaking down what it means to be an independent artist. Like oh, every cool. week they talk about a different subject and and it's so informative, it's so helpful, that's and it's really, really cool. honest. Um, so that's a part of the network. Um uh, as and, and and they are like officially packaged with us and going out with our stuff as of the last two weeks. Awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, thank that's you. That's exciting. Yeah, it's a great show. Fantastic uh -uh. show. And then with auto reverse what is next? Because I know that you just did Video Dave's release, mm -hmm. which his album is lovely. It and is lovely. The music video is great. I love the video. Yeah. For, it was for Sunday. No, Tuesday. Tuesday, yep. Too many days of the week. I can't keep yes, track. Yes, yes. All seven. Yes. My God. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what is sort of on the horizon with your label? Um, I have some ideas of some people I want to work with. I think the thing to do right now, and this is... It's really my experience after putting Dave's album out. It's like the world of releasing, promoting, marketing music may have changed just this year. Yeah. And especially for independent yes, music and, and artists. And I and I I desperately need to understand it immediately. It's I think about this a lot, and I don't know if you subscribe to Sherry Hughes' mm -hmm. newsletter. It's like I think it's called Water and Music. It's great. Um, I definitely to any listeners who like want to learn more about the music industry, it is like a well spent. I think it's like five dollars a month or something. Mm -hmm. But it's something that it's changing so rapidly that it feels so hard and difficult to even understand. And I don't know if you feel this way, like where it's at now. It feels like by the time I start getting a grasp on it, it will have changed. And it's, it's also driven, I'm like, it's out of my control about how it's driven. Like, mm -hmm. it's out of any of our control about how it's driven because it's all based on how people engage with music products and how people are engaging online with artists. And it's Yeah, I, I guess my, my particular areas of concern are around PR. Yeah, um, fair. Like, I got... I used to have a pretty good idea of how to make something go with PR. Mm -hmm. Now I find myself very confused. Really? In what very way? Very confused. Um, and you have a PR. You you use an agency. I do. Okay. Um, I just... There used to be a certain um, breadth of outlets that would cover indie rap. I feel like a lot of those have gone away quickly. Yeah, well, money. Yeah. Um, 
and and not not being able to tour. Right. Uh, I, you know, I, I think, you know, independent, like truly independent music is in a very precarious position in mm-hmm. terms of like how to market. How do we market? Yeah. We used to market with like certain websites. Um, you know, maybe you'd have some, some advertisements uh, and then you would go out and tour, you know, and you would try to get an interview with every weekly newspaper as you mm-hmm. were coming to town and, you know, try to get your album reviewed. And I, I just, I, I'm not quite sure what you do now. Um, so that's that's the thing. You know, like yeah. so like I, I like I said, I have people I want to work with, but it's becoming imperative that I figure out a strategy. Well, that's generous of you because I, I I think it's important when someone is looking at it from that perspective that like they're doing it with also the artist's best interest in mind versus like oh i'm gonna throw because there are people that do that though right like there are people that are like oh let's put this person on this label and then they're not really pulling through with like everything it means to support an artist as a label and it's sort of seeing that over the years for me has made me like a little bit allergic to Mm -hmm. the idea of labels and i was talking to some of my good friends recently we were at like a I don't know. It was like at my friend Drew's studio. It was my friend Snake and Drew, and they were talking. Like one of them was like, "Oh, you know, there's a label out of Jersey." Da da da. And I was like, "Look, I'll be honest with you. Like, a label from Oakland reached out, and like I had a brief conversation where I was like, cool, if one of your producers wants to do a remix, great.' Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, I was like, yeah. I'm a little bit allergic to any kind of intertwined relationship, just because. Well, you know, I don't trust people to do good work. They and they gotta really be able to help. Yeah. Like, and if, you know, like, they have to have a real solid plan and capacity to actually help you yeah. for the percentage and of passion. the revenue that they would ultimately end up taking. Totally. Like they yeah. have to be increasing the capacity to make money. Right. And so, like, me being an artist first, like, I don't want to partner with an artist as a label if I'm not able to actually increase their capacity. Like, it doesn't help me. Right. And it doesn't help them. Yeah. You know? That makes a lot of sense. Let's switch gears a little bit. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I talk to all guests about, in addition to like the intricacies of their work, mm-hmm. is also when they, uh, I don't know, like their personal life, because that is something that exists with work. Mm. Uh, and I think it's important for men to talk about their roles as parents more, because people don't ask guys about being dads, but women get asked a lot of questions about like how they manage being a mom. And working, but you have a son, and you were recently on the Fatherhood podcast, which mm-hmm. was great, by the way. There were like a lot of hysterical uh, things about the way that you parent that I greatly enjoyed. So I think listeners want to learn more about that. They definitely should. But I was really curious how you talk to your son about what you do for work, because he's old enough now to like understand what that is. Yeah. Um... How do I talk to him about it? Um, it's funny because he's just lived in this environment with me for so long mm-hmm. that like me having an album me going to do shows um, me even uh, having television shows all of that has just been part of his life mm-hmm. and um, I suppose it's much just like any parent when they tell their kid they're going to work Mm -hmm. 
Whereas it might, you know, when the world was normal, it might be a set place where they have to go from nine to five. Um, but you disappear for like, you know. Exactly. And so, and so like that's what like, you know, and believe me, we had to have conversations about why I had to leave for two or three weeks. Like, yeah. you know, and, and it really is a um, a teachable moment about like, yeah, this is how I work. Just right. like your friends have parents that work. Like, this is how I work. This is how I bring money home. This is how I pay for, you know, how I... Um, contribute to payment for the things Clothes that we and have like and yeah and exactly and the video <laughs> games and all you know right. you know like that is how um this money exists yeah and so I, i'm not sure if it gets more practical than that in, in terms of the conversations like he knows that i make money selling music he knows that i make money doing shows he knows that i make money like you know call and response was a money making endeavor and, and i kind of had to speak to him about it that way because call and response kind of rearranged my life for two weeks. Right. You know, and, and you know, I, me as a professional adult, I have to be paid to rearrange my life. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's there's a cost to that for me personally. So I have to make sure it's worth it financially, mm-hmm. you know. But I'm not sure it gets more practical than that in terms of how I make money. I don't, I'm not sure if our conversation around it has gotten quite that sophisticated yet. Right. So then for something like call and response when he's here, mm-hmm. is it just like he's respectful of that like you as his dad are going to be busy and should not be bothered for an hour? Or how does that work out? Yeah, pretty much. Like, yeah, yeah we're doing, you know, doing this thing that's different than usual. I'm having these conversations and I have to prep for them and it's going to be a solid couple of hours and, you know, make sure you're all set up with entertainment and food and let me know if there's any emergency and... And here's what emergencies are. My well, my, no, my he, mom used to do that with me where she would be like, this is not an emergency. No. Well, more so with my brother. My I brother see. was one to like, you know, need an emergency if he like ran out of something or didn't have fun. Right. Versus right. <laughs> she would be like, if it's not on fire, it's not an emergency. Right. No yeah, one's choking. He's, he's got a pretty good gauge on what's uh Has what's he been to any of your shows? Oh, yeah. Plenty. Okay. Plenty. He's been on stage. Oh, really? Yeah. That's so nice. There's a few, there's three questions that people submitted mm-hmm. because I did like a, anyone who listens to the podcast can ask questions for upcoming guests. So my friend, uh, Gregoire Sexton, who's an artist out of Seattle asked, will you and father be making any more music together? Um, I would like to, uh, we, me and him haven't specifically spoken about that, but, um, he's a really cool guy. So I imagine we probably will at some point. Okay. And then... RDCK asked your thoughts on, which I love this question, so thank you, Ryan. Uh, your thoughts on how the live element of music is adjusting during the interim shutdown. Uh, I'm I'm clueless and somewhat frustrated by it because <laughs> I don't like this remote performance stuff. I really don't. It, it To me, I find it draining and annoying. It's just deeply unsatisfying. Is there anything from like a production standpoint or anything like that that you feel like would lessen your frustrations with it um i I think that there's just a lot of ways that technology can reduce the quality of it yeah that it's just almost impossible to uh to get around all of them like there's there's just so much tech between me and my place and whoever's watching it in their place it's just um, if there was some way to um, have some quality control over that, that yeah. would be extremely helpful. Uh, and if there was some way to get feedback 
you know, in a way that you get when you're doing a live show in front of human beings. Right. So that would also really yeah. be helpful. Because as is, it does sort of require you to be like very near a device of some kind to see any sort of feedback that's happening. But then it's also distracting from you actually performing. Well, I don't even think, I mean, I haven't seen a way to actually do that, like get feedback while performing. What kind of feedback do you mean? I mean, literally like seeing people's physical hands in the air. Not like emojis popping up. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Like, Like that energy that you seek to generate as a performer you just don't feel it yeah and it's like i it's it's that's why i say it's draining because you put a you put you try to put as much into it as you would if you're actually on the stage and you get very little back yeah it's a little thankless yeah um and then on twitter blue underscore corolla asked to hear your feelings on what it was like dating collaborate with both method and mf doom for your tv show and that it must have been surreal uh, surreal is a great word for it. I remember I got Doom's verse back on the project, on the song that we did together. I was backstage about to do a sold out show in London, and my manager looked at his phone and smiled real hard, and he forwarded me the email, and like my head exploded. Surely, verse like six or eight times just to believe it was fucking real. Definitely. Um, that was awesome. And yeah, Meth, I mean, Method Man, like, is such a giant in my mind. Yeah. Uh, and then he's also a really large yeah. person. And in, in reality. Uh, <laughs> it just, you know, being able to, to, to be on a song with him, stand next to him, like, did, like, his rap pattern he used and his verse followed mine. Like, it, it was just like, surreal is the word. Yeah. Surreal is the word. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me that those things happen. Um, the last question I ask everybody is what is something that you would want to hear a future episode on like the behind the scenes of? Oh man, I was just thinking about this. Uh, what do you mean you weren't fully present and engaged every moment of this podcast? No, no, no I wasn't thinking about it during our conversation. <laughs> I was thinking about, okay. I was just thinking about it in life. Like there was something that came across, some, some job that came across my desk that I was like, damn, I wonder how that works, but I can't remember what it was. Um, oh I want to talk to somebody who writes for Marvel Comics right now. Oh. That's what I would Any love to know Any specific comic? So, um, well, the guy I want to talk to is a guy named Jonathan Hickman. Okay. Like, that's the main guy I'd like to talk to. But uh, anybody who works on any of the X-Men books right now, because they're all being kind of coordinated by Jonathan Hickman, mm-hmm. but they all have their own room to tell stories to. And I think that's all really super fascinating, and I would just love to know how it works. Totally. Yeah. Oh, I forgot one of my own questions. That was actually, it was like not really relevant to our general conversation, but sort of like my own personal question. Mm-hmm. Um, there was that study that you were involved in where they did like an MRI while you were rapping. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? And like, what was that like for you? Um, how did it come about? Uh, a guy who I was working with at the time, um, he was the closest thing I'd had to a manager before I had uh, the manager that I do have, uh, he saw that the National Institutes of Health had done a study on piano improvisers, mm-hmm. where they had like some sort of keyboard that they could take into the MRI machine, and they were measuring brain activity while people were improvising on it. I don't even imagine you could put a keyboard in there. It but was some sort of. I like, guess if it's in your lap, sort of, because your arms are sort of. I just had an MRI 
last week, mm -hmm. and it made me have a realization of how like music of like Mastercraft came about mm. because it just sounds a lot like Hard Halloween um, 2007. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think it was some sort of like flimsy keyboard. Okay, um, I a believe. children's keyboard. Something, yeah, yeah, um, and um, he correctly thought that they might be interested in the brain activity of people who are freestyle rapping. And he pitched it to them, and they were interested, and we flew out there to do a pilot program. That's when I rapped in the MRI machine for mm -hmm. hours and hours and hours. Hours? Oh, God, it was, it was terrible. Oh, my God. It was terrible. It was, it was terrible. It's, that sounds awful. Yeah. Um, because also, I was in there for 30 minutes to fall asleep. So. Yeah, well, like, I mean, I that, was, that wasn't possible, but like, you know, it, well, it, that's what I mean. Like, if I had to remain active, yeah, and and yeah, and that was the whole thing of it was Jesus. the different levels of activity, like a freestyle verse, a memorized verse. Okay, like all, like there was so many different conditions. Yeah, um, that I was in there a long time, um, but it was it was amazing. Uh, and then yeah, we got to help design how they uh, how they rated the freestyles from the actual participants too. That's why that's how we ended up being like co authors on the study. Interesting. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Awesome. Um well thank you so much for being of on the course. podcast. Of I super course. appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Um if you want to follow Mike, he's at open underscore Mike underscore Eagle on Instagram. Yeah, that's me. And then at Mike underscore Eagle on Twitter. Is yeah, that right? Yeah, it's because oh. the two E's next to each other. It what a memory. Sense. Yeah. Hey, hey, you, you did it. You did it. <laughs> You absolutely did it. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of BTS Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you're in the music industry and want to hear more conversations that are our music industry specific, there is a link in the description of this episode to a playlist I put together on Breaker that has all the episodes that I've done with people across the music industry. I've had on a music supervisor, a strategist, several producers who span genres, and I really think that you'll enjoy those conversations. I know I did. Huge thank you to Mike for being on. Please check out his merchandise, his music. I would not have him on here if I didn't think that he was great at what he does, and he is absolutely very great at what he does. An extra nugget in the description of this episode is a link to a video that he did with Lizzo on his show on Comedy Central, and it's a hysterical song about consent, and it's really great, and I think you'll like it. Thanks again for listening.